0: Welcome to Theory of Indivisibility, solutions-focused evolutionary analysis of our social, economic, and political systems delivered to you in short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Dr.
1: Sunjata. Open your mind this. The world that you put in your face is digital. Wrapped around the neck, sun it's critical to break free and see light in the right direction. New thought, living every section of the mind, but what is it? Signals given to you.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Theory of Indivisibility. I'm so happy that you're here with me once again. I appreciate you for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to this podcast. Whether you're driving down the road, working out, cleaning around the house, the fact that you would take me along with you for that journey and listen to these thoughts of mine is very humbling, and I really appreciate it. In the previous episode, titled Religion Part 3, we discussed how my theory of indivisibility applies to religion. During today's episode, we are going to discuss the evolutionary origins of the concept of ownership in human societies. During Season 1 of Theory of Indivisibility, we are exploring the evolutionary origins, current complexities, and how my theory of indivisibility applies to the following social systems. Power over... Patriarchy, Religion, Ownership, Capitalism, Democracy, Racism, and Education. Season one evolves like a book, so for clarity's sake, I suggest starting from episode one if this is your first time listening. Thank you and a huge shout out to my newest patrons, Marion and Helena. Marion and Helena, I really appreciate your support and appreciation for this work. It really means a lot to me every time someone chooses to become a patron to support the sustainability of this show. It lets me know that you're out there listening. It lets me know that you're gaining value from these thoughts that I share and the time that I put into, you know, bringing this uh, production to you. So I really, really appreciate uh, that affirmation a lot. If you get value from listening to this podcast and you'd also like to support it, to support it becoming more sustainable, please visit patreon.com forward slash live indivisible, to become a patron today. In 2019, we think of ownership of land and other forms of private property as the norm. However, it is a relatively new concept And just like power over patriarchy and religion, it evolved over many, many years due to the changes in human societies set in motion by the agricultural revolution approximately 10 to 12,000 years ago. So what are the evolutionary origins of ownership in human societies? How and why did it even become necessary? To fully gain context for these questions, we first need to discuss what preceded ownership. So let's start from the beginning. The following insights will include direct quotes from Dr. Robert Gilman's article titled The Idea of Owning Land and some thoughts of my own to add additional context. Our feelings about ownership have very deep roots. Most animal life has a sense of territory, a place to be at home and to defend. This territoriality seems to be associated with the oldest part of the brain, known as the reptilian brain, and forms a biological basis for our sense of property it is closely associated with our sense of security and our instinctual fight or-flight responses all of which gives a powerful emotional dimension to our experience of ownership yet this biological basis does not determine the form that territoriality takes in different cultures so when I when I say and read very deep roots a couple things come to mind Homo sapien human evolution began 300,000 years ago. However, our brain started to evolve long before then. And like everything else in nature, the human brain evolved as well. There's four levels. The reptilian brain, the old mammalian, the new mammalian, also known as the neocortex, and the prefrontal cortex, In episode two, I discussed the evolution of life on Earth and how humans evolved, included how mammals evolved from reptiles. So you can kind of connect the dots between that conversation and the different levels of the brain. And I just got to pause because if you haven't listened to episode two, that might sound completely wild to you. Um, Just depending on where you are and your understanding of evolution or, you know, the time you've put into understanding that. And for me... It was really wild because I had always thought about evolution as the idea of humans evolving from from apes. But before doing research for this podcast, I never knew that humans actually evolved and mammals in general evolved from reptiles and then reptiles evolved from fish. So I broke all of that down in episode two and just the evolution of the brain That actually evolved over millions of years through that process as well to get us to the point where we are today, where we have we're able to use our prefrontal cortex brain, which gives us our logic, our reasoning and all the various things that make humans uh, different and unique from other forms of animals. So I included articles and links to these articles that give a little bit more detail about these things, about the the evolution of the brain, et cetera, in the show notes. And, you know, one of the things that I think about when I think about the evolution of the human brain and just evolution of humans in general that I think all of you can relate to is, have you ever said or heard someone say, um, you know, how advanced young people appear and how they're just so much smarter than we were when we were younger? Uh, You'll hear older people say that. Um, you know just depend on your age, even me you know as someone who just turned 40 when I think about my children and just the different ways that they process information and how quick they are to think about certain things and how they adapt to the new technologies etc um, you know I believe that that's a very very good example of just how every generation of child evolves in terms of their capacity, their brain capacity because they come into the world and they're able to, automatically pick up where the last generation left off cognitively. So it's pretty fascinating and it's an example in real time of how the human mind is evolving. And another thing that I like to point to uh, in this discussion as well is just the length of time and and just in general um, throughout this podcast, I always like to kind of highlight the amount of time that goes by when we talk about the evolution of these various processes in nature, which of course humans are nature. And literally the fact that it took millions of years. So if we can see small changes in our lifetime, imagine the level of changes that can take place over millions of years in terms of evolution of the human mind, the evolution of human societies, nature, earth, et cetera. And please excuse that noise in the background, uh, the the beeping horns, but I'm going to keep on moving forward. Um, you know, with what this conversation is without editing that out. So humans, like many of our primate cousins, engage in group as well as individual territoriality. Tribal groups saw themselves connected to particular territories, a place that was theirs. Yet their attitude towards the land was very different from ours in modern times. They frequently spoke of the land as their parent or as a sacred being on whom they were dependent and to whom they, owned, they owed loyalty and service. For most of these tribal peoples, their sense of land ownership involved only the right to use and to exclude people of other tribes, but usually not members of their own. If there were any private rights, these were usually subject to review by the group and would cease if the land was no longer being used. The sale of land was either not even a possibility or not permitted. As for inheritance, every person had use rights simply by membership in the group. So a growing child would not have to wait until some other individual died or pay a special fee to gain full access to the land. In episode three, we discussed the fact that for the, for the first approximately 290,000 years of human evolution, Humans lived together in nomadic hunter-gatherer bands consisting of a few dozen people. The overall population size was very low, so prehistoric humans had plenty of space to roam. The previous statements represent sentiments from human societies after tribes evolved, which were generally groups consisting of hundreds of people. Tribes began to form after populations boomed during and after the agricultural revolution. In early agricultural societies, farming made the human relationship to the land more concentrated. Tilling the land, making permanent settlements, etc., all meant a greater direct investment in a particular place. Yet, this did not lead immediately to our present ideas of ownership. As best is known, early farming communities continued to experience an intimate spiritual connection to the land, and they often held land in common under the control of a village council. It was not so much farming directly, but the larger-than-tribal societies called chiefdoms that could be based on farming that led to major changes in attitudes towards the land. Chiefdoms consisted of thousands of people. Many of the first civilizations were centered around a supposedly god-like king, and it was a natural extension to go from the tribal idea that the land belongs to the gods to the idea of the kingdom belongs to the god king. Since the God-King was supposed to personify the whole community, this was still a form of community ownership, but now personalized. Privileges of use and control of various types were distributed to the ruling elite on the basis of custom and politics. As time went on, land took on a new meaning for these ruling elites. It became an abstraction, a source of power and wealth, a tool for other purposes— The name of the game became Conquer, Hold, and Extract, the Maximum in Tribute. Just as the article titled The Parable of the Tribes, which I referenced in Episode 3, Power Part 1, would suggest, the human-to-human struggle for power gradually came to be the dominant factor shaping the human relationship to the land. This shift from seeing the land as a sacred mother to merely a commodity required deep changes throughout these cultures, such as moving the gods and sacred beings into the sky, where they could conveniently be as mobile as the ever-changing boundaries of these growing empires. So what I find interesting about that last segment that I read from Dr. Gilman's article is the idea that the rulers of these early civilizations, these chiefdoms, um, were generally considered the gods but as the populations continued to grow and their kingdoms began to expand there was a transition within that relationship between power over patriarchy and, re- and religion there was a transition period where the rulers began to, to say that the gods were now in the sky and that they could so that they could always be watching over the people and holding them accountable and it's interesting because, you know, as religions continue to evolve, eventually all gods ended up in the sky. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how the anthropologists, the linguists, the various, various scientists across various fields are able to uh, take a look at historic records and archaeological evidence, etc., to, to make these inferences. And I've seen this, I've seen the same story told in a few different resources about how that all evolved. I want to take a moment to share with you how I take this theory of indivisibility work into the world. At the heart of my theory is the belief that we have the capacity to learn new skills. If we want to live indivisibly, we have to learn how to communicate, resolve conflict, and govern our individual relationships, families, communities, and organizations in ways that reject power and privilege and embrace equity and collaboration. For the past five years now, I've been facilitating trainings on a skill designed to do just that, called Authentic Dialogue. Authentic Dialogue is about shared inquiry, a way of thinking and reflecting. It's an exchange where people think together and discover something new. It is the seeking of greater truth, a shared truth that results from a deeper understanding of one another. I have facilitated both individual sessions for two people and group sessions for organizations and companies. I also created an online training titled, Create Healthy Personal Relationships and Thriving Organizational Culture with Authentic Dialogue, a three-step process for collaborative conflict resolution that you can access for free at my website under Courses. Visit igotogrow.com, that's I-G-O-T-O-G-R-O-W.com, and click Book Me to view a list of facilitation topics, and please reach out to me if I can be of service to your family or organization. These social norms that converged at the intersection of power over patriarchy and religion evolved during the era of prehistory over the course of the approximately 5,000 years between the onset of the agricultural revolution and the invention of written language. That's a really long time for these customs and practices to take root. During the era of recorded history, the idea of private land ownership developed as a second step partly in reaction to the power of the sovereign, the kings, the the rulers, and partly in response to the opportunities of a larger-than-village economy. In the god-king societies, the privileges of the nobility were often easily withdrawn at the whim of the sovereign, and the importance of politics and raw power as the basis of ownership was rarely forgotten. To guard their power, the nobility frequently pushed for greater legal customary recognition of their land rights. In the less centralized societies and in the occasional democracies and republics of this period, private ownership also developed in response to the breakdown of village cohesiveness. In either case, private property permitted the individual to be a quote-unquote little king of his own lands. By the early days of Greece and Rome, approximately 1200 to 800 BCE, before the common era, community common land, state or sovereign land, and private land all had strong traditions behind them. Plato and Aristotle both discussed various mixtures of private and state ownership in ideal societies, with Aristotle upholding the value of private ownership as a means of protecting diversity. Concepts of private ownership of land evolved in Europe prior to other places Due to the emergence of commerce, which led to the movement away from absolute monarchies of kings and queens. I also took some time out of curiosity to research the ideas of land ownership and private ownership and how they evolved in Africa and Asia as well Um, out of curiosity. However, the focus is on Europe because these concepts evolved in Europe before those other places, uh, primarily due to the emergence of commerce, which led to the movement away from the absolute monarchies of kings and queens. And these things happened in Europe faster because of various reasons which are covered in the book that I've referenced in the past called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Um, and also the reason why the focus is on Europe because, is because obviously America was a European colony, so therefore all of our customs and practices and social norms as Americans evolved Uh, out of the customs, customs, practices, and social norms of Europeans, from Europeans and from Europe. And even for myself as an African-American, because my ancestors were enslaved um, to Europeans, I adopted and I grew up learning those same customs and practices, and I don't have any ties or any knowledge of customs and practices from Africa because of the transatlantic slave trade. So with that being said, just please keep in mind that this is a very generalized, streamlined, uh, you know, overview. And there's just so much more nuance that can be, you know, explored. And I hope that, as usual, my work, uh, you know, sparks some curiosity where you'll go do some of those explorations. And, of course, as always, if there's anything that I missed that you feel like should be added for context, you can visit the website. I go to grow.com and click on discussion group and join our discord discussion group and just add anything you'd like to the channel that is titled ownership. So this is a good time to discuss the intersectionality of the evolutionary origins of power over patriarchy, religion, and ownership. For those of you who have listened to the previous episodes, I'm sure that you are mentally connecting the dots already. Over the course of thousands of years, and due to the environmental and social demands created by agriculture, systems of power over evolved where men would become rulers at every level of society, and this ushered in systems of patriarchy. Once patriarchy took root, it began to influence spirituality practices that previously honored the spiritual essence in all things in nature equally, to become religions where both gods and moral authorities were men. And as we discussed in our show on Patriarchy, episode 6, only men were able to own land or private property up until fairly recently in the 19th century when married women began to gain rights like the ability to run their own business and make decisions without their husband's consent, or the ability to own, but not control, their own land. Notice that I said married women only it would take even longer before all women gain these same rights. This is a great time to transition into a brief discussion about the evolution of the concept of owning humans. According to the Wikipedia article titled The History of Slavery, mass slavery requires economic surpluses and a high high population density to be viable. Due to these factors, the practice of slavery would have proliferated after the invention of agriculture during the Neolithic Revolution, also known as Agricultural Revolution, about 11,000 years ago. Slavery was known in civilizations as old as Sumer, as well as in almost every other ancient civilization, including ancient Egypt, ancient China, the Akkadian Empire, Assyria, Babylonia, ancient Iran, ancient Greece, ancient India, the Roman Empire, the Arabic Islamic Caliphate and Sultanate, Nubia, in the pre-Columbian civilizations of the Americas. Such institutions were a mixture of debt slavery, punishment for crime, the enslavement of prisoners of war, child abandonment, and the birth of slave children to slaves. Varying degrees of possessing, controlling, and owning land, personal property, and humans have evolved in human societies for the past approximately ten to 12,000 years. Today, we are grappling with the unintended consequences of those social norms set into motion so very long ago. Some would argue that these norms created wealth, abundance, and technological advancements that have benefited society greatly, while others will point to the deterioration of natural resources, climate change, and the massive amounts of human oppression endured over the many years as evidence that a change, of course, is desperately needed. We will take a look at both perspectives During part two, an exploration of the current complexities of ownership, next time on Theory of Indivisibility. Theory of Indivisibility is written and produced by me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform and share it with friends and family on social media. It really helps the show gain traction. It takes 20 to 30 hours of research, writing, producing, and editing to complete each show. So if you like what you hear, you can show your support in helping to make this show more sustainable by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. That is also where you'll find show notes and resources for each episode. Thanks again for listening. And until next time,
1: I love y'all. Peace. Visionary my frame got me opening the I pause for a second, listen to the words that I spit, so can you feel it, lose focus and you start to see the vibration, hitting every nation, check your foundation, a matter of energy, got me circling for the world around me, stand strong, holding the position, I'll be long finished, clearing the past, and then you move on, to a new way to go, you're engaging the flow. But the running so fast, but will I slow down? The wheels and the bus go round around, and round. Sitting thinking how I'm living, what the longer now I'm coming to a point where I'm bridging the gap. I reckon living with the interpersonal ethic emerging to another level with my culture. Open your mind, vision, no time. Open your mind to this. New vision, no time. Open your mind to this. New vision, no time. Open your mind to this. New vision, no time. Open your mind to this. New vision, no time.
0: Theme song, New Vision, is performed by Achilles the Cosmonaut. Find more from Achilles the Cosmonaut on your favorite music streaming app.